This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is a movie podcast. And what do we do here? Well, I'll tell you. This is a movie podcast where we watch a blockbuster, a cult favorite, or an otherwise culturally significant film that we've never seen before. And after we watch the movie, the guest decides if it was better late that they've been missing out by never having seen the film, or never... The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I am the host of the show. This week, throw all of that in the garbage, because we are watching a TV show. I am joined by regular guest Will, who's back for more, and I am going to sate his appetite for grisly entertainment with the bizarrely beautiful, human flesh-filled bromance, Hannibal which first debuted on NBC in 2013. Will, welcome back to the program. I hope you're hungry. (laughs) Oh, hello, Clarice. Famished. Hello, Clarice. Hello, Will. That's right, you're named Will. How apropos. Oh, okay, is that something? I think that is something. um, (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Well, okay, I'm not. I, I'm jumping ahead now, but I did recently take in, and this might be cheating a little bit, some clips of the original Manhunter movie, which I've never seen in its entirety, and oh, just so good. saw some clips on YouTube. Brian Cox, man, Brian Cox, and I didn't realize actually how close those two movies were. Silence of the Lambs was, I think, like '91, and Manhunter was like '87. So it's just kind of like they just like <laughs> went and redid it. I don't know. Some people, uh, some people argue that Brian Cox is the best Hannibal. Brian Cox is fantastic. I don't know. We don't need to get into Succession, but are you a Succession guy? I am not a Succession guy. All right, we need to do that as an episode. Maybe I don't care about rich people. That's the whole point. Oh, all right. Uh, but I do like Brian Cox, and he does have a good take on Hannibal. I'll give him that. But that actually, uh, that kind of brings me to my first question about this, which is, uh, you know, I'm going to take from your your Hopkins impression that you've at least si- seen Silence of the Lambs. But how familiar are you with the the Lambsiverse? How many uh, how many of the pieces of content from this universe have you seen? Yeah, so definitely Silence of the Lambs. Um, seen that multiple, multiple times. I did. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, all time classic, all time favorite of mine. I did see the other uh, two Anthony Hopkins, the uh, Hannibal I saw when I came out and I saw Red Dragon when it came out. What's that? 
Hannibal, bad movie. Uh, I will. I. I mean, I like Hannibal. That movie's pretty awesome. And no, it's not a good movie. It's a bad movie, but it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And was that you said you saw Red Dragon? Too? Red Dragon as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I think I'm putting together. I think the Edward Norton character in Red Dragon might be the same character as is um, played by I don't know the name of the the actor in Manhunter in the clip that I saw, and that character's name is Will. Putting it together, maybe. Yeah, uh, it's it's the guy from CSI, uh, William Patterson. Yeah. Right. Hold on, I can confirm that. It's William Peterson. William Peterson, of course, as we said. Yes, right. As we said the first time, and did not get wrong. Yeah, no. Uh, Red Hunt, uh, Red Dragon's a uh, kind of a remake, you know, with the new guys. Right. So in the book, and the books I've read, kind of picked up the books here and there. I haven't read any of them in their entirety, but you know, when when Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal, and when that was kind of like a big deal. The books were just kind of floating around like friends' houses and stuff like that. So I've read like paragraphs and passages out of them, um, but I've never actually read any of the books um, as uh, as far as actually reading them. I believe I've read. Well, I know I've read Hannibal and Red Dragon. I can't remember if I've read any of the others. Are there a lot of them? Well, there's a Silence of the Lambs book. Uh huh. There's also kind of a prequel book called Hannibal Rising Ooh. about uh, Hannibal Lecter's past, which has itself been turned into a film. Uh, I haven't seen that one. have not heard good things. All right. Um, and then I think at this point we've got all of the content covered except for this show. So... Uh, yeah, so that brings us to um, what have you heard about this show? Not a whole lot, which is great. Um, and one of the fun things is once we commit to an episode of one of these, I go out of my way to avoid anything. Uh, I, I guess, you know, watching Manhunter clips on YouTube uh, might go against that a little bit. But um, I remember you mentioned it started on NBC in 2013. That I didn't know. I mean, I knew that was around the time frame. Um, I kind of thought that it was on kind of a more something I think more of like premium TV type um, platform like a Netflix or something like that. But now that I'm recalling, uh, I think I remember hearing some news about how it was maybe canceled on NBC and picked up by another platform, um, something like that. So... Now that you know that it's network, how does that impact your expectations? Well, if it's network, then you're expecting less swearing, less nudity, less gory stuff, um, and maybe expecting it to be a bit more formulaic in direction and in pacing and in storytelling. Sure. So maybe you're uh, thinking it's going to be a little more, a little more generic, a little more tame. Perhaps. Sure, sure. So, you know, you've seen some of the Hannibal stuff. What? Uh, how much do you remember about the whole Hannibal Lecter mythos? Like, what do you uh, what do you know about the guy? 
he loves eating people. Oh, he's super into it. He's really into eating people. Um, liver with fava beans and Chianti or something like that. That's right. I mean, are, are we talking about the character as far as canonically in the fictional works or just the kind of phenomenon that was, I think, in like the 90s onward? Um, I I'm think leaning the... more towards the former at the, at the moment. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Hannibal Lecter is a brilliant doctor of psychology who is really, really good at murdering and eating people and getting away with it, um, who's cunning and smart and manipulative and can figure out ways to break out of jail and stuff. Um, And one time a census taker went to his house uh, and he ate his uh, liver with uh, Chianti and some fava beans. Uh, Fava beans, yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, right, not just a psychologist, full-on psychiatrist. All right. He's got got the whole deal. He can prescribe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Now, in Silence of the Lambs, he is in jail. Yes. He is uh, very interestingly kind of a, a consultant for Clarice Starling. Do you know how he wound up in jail? Ah, no. That's probably explained in Silence of the Lambs, but I don't remember. Okay. I asked if you'd heard very much about the show. So you said you hadn't heard much, but have you heard anything in terms of uh, reputation? Like, have people talked about it or hyped it up for you at all? I've heard generally good things. I know that it definitely had a following when it was on the air and subsequently. Um, it's one of those, you know, when you haven't seen a show, but it kind of uh, the people who are into it uh, and the people that you pay attention to, there's kind of a rather large overlap in the Venn diagram. So, you know, I've heard things. I, I know that it's uh, maybe a cult hit. And was enjoyed by people who enjoy things similar to things that I enjoy. Sure. I mean, not lost amongst the hypers of this show is myself. That's uh, true. I I hype this show pretty hard to whoever will listen. I wonder if you know who's in the show. Yeah, me too. So, no, I don't. Um, I can picture the, I guess, lead actor... Uh, who I assume to be Hannibal, and it's a familiar face. Can you Sherlock it out, maybe? Ooh, okay. So it's it's not... <laughs> it's it's not the guy who played Sherlock? It's not the guy... Is it the guy who played Sherlock? No, that uh. can't be right. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. I'm picturing an actor... You know sometimes you like have actors like grouped together in your head... And they're kind of all yeah. the same. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, I just a tidbit I think I came across on like a Facebook comment or something. And this is I'm, I'll circle back to what we're talking about. But um, in Manhunter, Brian Cox obviously ended up playing Hannibal Lecter. Um, both up for the role were Brian Dennehy and John Lithgow. Hmm. And now the three of those kind of combine in my mind as, you know, 
really solid supporting actors who are a bit kind of haggard, but you don't want to fuck with. <laughs> totally. All right. Um, but now see, for me, I think that the go to like slot them in guys, you've got your James Reborn. Yeah. Or James Cromwell. Oh, Cromwell. Yeah. Or um, who's the guy who played uh, Max Headroom? Oh, I thought it was a robot. Wait, there's a guy. I guess there is a guy. There is a guy. Matt. Uh, Matt Frewer. Matt Frewer. Those and... three guys are all, all right, kind gonna... of like I lump those three together. I'm gonna have to look up Frewer because he's been in other things, and now. Oh yeah. Uh, and and so I've never thought like I've never watched a thing and been like, oh, that's Max Headroom, and that's a feeling that I want when I watch things. So I'm gonna look into this. Yeah, check it out. Orphan Black. Oh, okay. Um, so as far as casting Hannibal or or the face that I have in my mind, there are two actors who are not playing who do not play Hannibal, but are kind of the same space in my brain, and that's William Fickner okay. and Peter Green. And I feel like Peter Green, Peter Green was Red Foot and Usual Suspects, and he was the like the cop, the rapist cop in Pulp Fiction. I and know he what you're talking about, yeah. Playing that character a lot, I think, in like indie films in the '90s, and he's got to me like a very William Fickner type look and presence. And it was kind of a thing where he's I got think a face for creeps. Yeah, yeah. And and Peter Green, I think, kind of made it f- maybe faded away, and Fickner just took all the roles that were maybe meant for him. But in that same shape, facial shape, uh, uh, mannerism, whatever, is in my mind the actor who plays Hannibal. I think, although he is British somehow, or or like at least has like a Frasery voice. Do you think you've seen him in anything else? Yeah, definitely. I've seen him in lots of other things. I just, it just, I don't know. It's, can't put my finger on it. It's a mist. It's weird. It's muddled in my brain. Okay, I'm going to write down what you said. Uh, We'll see after you find out who it is and see him in a few episodes. We'll come back to this prediction of him being kind of William Fickner, Peter Greenish, and British. And like, you know, you can reflect on that prediction. Anyone else in the show? I assume that there's an FBI person, and I'm picking up that it might be Will, who uh, now I believe is the character represented, in, as I said, in Manhunter and also maybe played in Red Dragon by Edward Norton and uh, is maybe the FBI agent that Hannibal had a relationship with before Clarice entered the picture. As far as who plays that person, I don't know. Um, I also would think that there is probably like a female lead. I don't know who that would be. Um, And I assume there are other characters also. There's probably like a boss at the FBI. But I don't know who any of these people are played by. No idea. Okay. I am going to issue you a challenge. Which is, um, I think while you're watching the show... You should try and take a drink every time someone says "will." Huh. Now, and and this is only in reference to the name, or is this also in reference to just the word "will"? 
there is a huge subplot around estate planning on the show. <laughs> so, no, uh, just the name. Uh, see how long it takes you to die of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> Uh, no. so, so basically, yes, there is a character named Will. All right. Um, are there any um, kind of the other things that we usually go into with movies and stuff like that? Do you think you've seen any scenes yet or shots or anything that you've caught along the way? I believe that I've seen some stuff still some frames from this that have become kind of internet memes. Um, I'm not thinking of anything specific. I am thinking of uh, red blood and I'm thinking of a general look that's maybe kind of like dextery as far as just general like color scheme and uh, that type of thing. Okay. And then I guess we're nearing the end here of my like, you know, prepped questions. Do you have any other predictions or hopes for the show going into it? As far as, so um, I'm trying to think of if this is going to be a similar timeline, same timeline as the movies that I'm familiar with, if it kind of overlaps, if it's kind of a better call Saul type thing or takes place before. Yeah. Where um, do you think it is in time? Yeah, I I would assume it takes place, it begins at least before Silence of the Lambs in the Manhunter era, or maybe even before. Maybe it's like an origin story, um, which could be. It could be an origin story, so it could be maybe, you mentioned Hannibal Rising. I have no idea what the plot to that is, but it could be kind of in that era. Um, or it could kind of go, or, or it could be maybe like an alternate timeline where it's not... Um, canon with the rest of the materials but just kind of inspired by uh kind of like the fargo tv series or something like that so i really don't know all right well in that case uh before we get started i just want to spend a little bit time talking about how we're actually going to do this one because the fact that it's a tv show means we have to be a little creative about how we're covering it yep so We've done one TV show so far, and that was Rick and Morty, and what we did was I picked out a few curated episodes to show that kind of highlighted what I thought were some of the show's strengths, weaknesses, uh, interesting points, etc. I don't think that approach will work for this show, because this show is a little bit more serialized. Uh, so I also don't want to have you watch the whole series as part of this because, one, that's a lot of work for you and for me because I want to at least try to follow along with you. And also it's too much to, like, stuff into an episode of coverage. Right. So what I am proposing is that we do season one, which is uh, 13 episodes which yeah. I think is a manageable amount and also covers kind of each season or depending on when half season has a kind of relatively contained story arc to cover and break down. And then we'll do that, but also we'll check in with each other roughly every three or four episodes, say, and do like a like kind of a mini check-in. All right. So 
we kind of never done it this way before, but uh, it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's an experiment. It's an organic process here at Better Late Than Never, and by God, we're going to learn as we go. Excellent. Yeah, does that does that work for you? Just fine. All right, cool. So yeah, I think um, I think to start, let's have you do the first three episodes, and then we'll check back in, do three more, check in, and we'll kind of take it from there. Awesome. Sounds good. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, do you have anything else you want to get down on record before you start to watch Hannibal? Uh, I'm just hoping to find out what the most delicious part of the human anatomy is oh well you know i could actually kind of answer that question for you (laughs) okay (laughs) not from personal experience sure but because they have uh they have asked this question of cannibals like uh you know like indigenous tribes of people right that are still active cannibals today they've asked them this question is it fingertips it's the palm yeah 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 palm of the hand mm. i don't know why that would be i don't know it just seems so tender if it just yeah that's gonna be good right it's kind of like chicken feet <laughs> are chicken feet good i've never had that either i i don't love them i have had them um they there's the little like plumpy part if you turn it around there's like the little plump palmy part of the chicken foot and that's the part you want to eat a little fleshiness right there and that that is kind of tasty so that's probably what it is okay i gotta be real with you um i actually i love this show and i've made that clear i think but i'm actually utterly repulsed by cannibalism and maybe we can talk about that more as, you know, we get deeper into the show and the later parts. But cannibalism really disgusts me. Really? So this is this is a huge difference between the two of us because it doesn't bother me at all. Oh, wow. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not for like killing people or like eating. I mean, I'm not f- pro cannibalism. But like if someone had like died in a car accident and was like young and healthy and like their meat was there and I was hungry and like, you know, someone cooked it and it was like, you know, prepared, I I would eat it. Why not? Why not? Otherwise, you're letting it go to waste. All right. Well, this is clearly you and I are going to have some disagreements. I think there's one episode in particular, I think, where we're going to we should have this discussion. (laughs) I can I know the episode where we should talk about this. Sweet. All right. Well, in that case, uh, Will, I hope you're hungry because we're going to start watching Hannibal now. Mm. And for everybody else, we will catch you, well, for you in just a few seconds. We'll see you when we come back. This is the part where we're watching the show. And now it's done. And so here we are, back again. We've just watched the first three episodes of Hannibal. Will, what do you think so far? Well, so far, I mean, where do we begin? Where do we begin here? We've seen three episodes of Hannibal. Hannibal is different than I'm used to him because I'm used to British Hannibal. Mm-hmm. This is not British Hannibal. I don't know if we want to start there 
Or he's if, Danish Hannibal now. Is he Danish? Do they make that clear? Because I believe Mads is the actor, Mads Michaels. It, uh, uh, so I believe the pronunciation is Mass. Mass, Mass Mickelson. Mass Mickelson. Yeah. Um, is a Dane. Yeah. Okay, so we're 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 accepting that Hannibal Lecter is a Dane because I was like, well, is he German, Austrian, Dutch, Danish? He on be the any show, of those. I think we're taking him at least at the moment as just. Um, uh, I think they get into it later if memory serves, but uh, at the moment he is uh, undifferentiated foreign. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> just uh, yeah, but um. I guess before we uh, get into the specifics, though, I'm just curious of uh, you digging it so far. I would say so far, yes. I'm not 100% on the yes, Um, but I am curious to see where it goes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, You know, some of your uh, predictions have been pretty close some of them not so much we'll we'll circle back to those catchphrase of the pod in a second though before we do i want to briefly touch on some meta stuff because i don't know when else we're gonna have a chance to do it so we might as well do it here Um, and that is the show is from brian fuller brian Uh fuller is the showrunner of hannibal now, number one, first question, Will, do you know what a showrunner is? I'm familiar with the uh, occupation showrunner. So for those of us in the audience who don't know what a showrunner is, do you want to explain it? A showrunner is, I would say, the main creative force behind a show. Uh there's a managerial aspect to it, and it's also a production aspect to it and a writing aspect to it. Um, you think of, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, but also Larry David on the show Seinfeld or um, Vince Gilligan on Breaking Bad. People like that. Did I yeah, get that right? I'm trying to think of how to exactly yeah, define it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, they're they're the 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 primary producer of the show. So, like, you know, if you think about a movie, the movie's producer, the one who gets the uh, best picture Oscar for actually making the movie at the end of the night, you kind of not a perfect one to one, but if you port that over to TV, the guy at the top of the pyramid responsible for making the show is the showrunner. But uh, this difference with tv is that there is also often a more creative element to it and that the showrunner is usually also a writer on the show someone whose creative vision is a little bit more directly involved right and oftentimes we'll take on some of the direct directing some of the episodes yeah uh, will be credited as a writer on some episodes and some not although um Writing credits in TV are a bit weird in that they're always written by rooms, but the writing credit is assigned, or I shouldn't say always, but typically, and the writing credit is assigned to the person who actually goes and does the typing up of all the dialogue come up with the you know like a story arc altogether or like maybe even he comes up with the arc they work out kind of how it breaks down all together and then to actually write up the episode they give it like you john you will write this episode right you know for what happens during this 40 minute stretch of the story kind of thing right yeah 
Um, but long story short, that's what a showrunner is. Um, I, th- I think we nailed it, dude. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, and so Brian Fuller is that for this. And uh, do you know who he is? <sighs> no, I don't. Okay. Had you ever heard? You'd never heard of him before? I've heard the name Brian Fuller, but I can't tell you. I can't tell you what he's done. Yeah. Honestly, I think this is now the thing he's most known for. But uh, prior to this, he had some credits as a writer on some Star Trek shows, he uh, DS9 and Voyager. Hmm. But he also had some shows that he created himself previous to this. So there was uh, Dead Like Me. Okay, yeah. Wonderfalls. Don't know that one. And then probably the biggest hit, I think, or at least certainly a cult hit before this was Pushing Daisies. Okay, all right. So he's a seasoned TV veteran. Oh, yeah, sure. He'd been around. After this show ended, he was the guy uh, responsible for trying to develop that show American Gods, but wound up getting pushed out because that show is got crazy behind-the-scenes drama, so he's not in charge of it now, but he was at least for a while. Oh, anyway. interesting. Okay, because that's a show that I always thought I should get into, and then it seemed to kind of disappear. Mm, yeah. I think you can take your time. Okay. Circling around to that one. But anyway... Hannibal, the TV show. Will, you were correct that um, there would be an FBI guy on this show whose name would be Will. I I predict that for every movie. Oh, there's going to be an FBI guy and he's going to be named after me? Very narcissistic, dude. I don't know if I approve of that. Um, And he's played by Hugh Dancy. You know Hugh Dancy? Uh, no, I, I don't think I'd seen him before. Apart from being Mr. Claire Danes, uh, the big thing about Hugh Dancy that I know is that his father, Jonathan Dancy, is actually a huge badass in the philosophy community. Which is not an oxymoron, I take it? <laughs> no, I just, um, you know, uh, a roommate of mine uh, was a philosophy professor. And when I was ta- talking to him about this show, trying to sell him on watching it, I mentioned that uh, one of the actors was Hugh Dancy. And he was like, any relation to Jonathan Dancy? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. He was like, oh, I met that guy. He's like really well known, well respected uh, in philosophy circles. Huh, like, huh. who'd have thunk it? Not me, but evidently that was the case. So anyway, just a fun little tidbit about him. But the real the real star of the show, let's just, let's just say is, ah, oh, Mass. Mass Mickelson. Oh, my God. We'll talk about him and his acting a little bit more when we discuss the episodes more in depth. But um, how are you finding his performance as Hannibal? I mean, you did a little dreamy swoon, at least it sounded like there. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know if I'm dreamy swoon about him. I mean, he seems kind of like an intellectual Arnold Schwarzenegger a little bit. Explain. 
Well, he's got an accent like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but also his delivery seems to be a little bit like, um, you know, there's a lot of, and this is, this isn't so much in scenes that focus on him, but this is more like scenes in which he is just one of many people delivering dialogue. And he generally only has like one line and there'll be a bunch of dialogue flying around about how, like, uh, you know, just to skip ahead a couple episodes, how like, you know, the chief realizes like, oh my God, he's been feeding his victims to us, hasn't he? And then it just, you just have Hannibal in the background going like, it's very likely. <laughs> Stuff like that. Try not to sound more excited, Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you can basically see in his eyes like, he. I think he did one of those like back to back and forth tongue things when he said it <laughs> well all right the performance is obviously less hammy than anthony hopkins it For has sure. more in common with the brian cox kind of understated version of hannibal lecter yeah as it would have to i think you know th- there's no way the over-the-top anthony hopkins version could work in a tv universe i think right it would burn out too quickly yeah and, and also this is a this is a Hannibal Lecter who is still trying to pass as a normal-ish guy That's at right. the moment. So, yeah, fava bean man can't uh, can't be out uh, out of the closet yet. Which I think it, it I think that makes sense because I think people just become as they get older they kind of become more and more caricatures of themselves. Um, oh yeah, I'm totally. thinking like Al Pacino. I'm thinking Bernie Sanders. <laughs> all of like, us you become more yourself the more you grow older it's true right yeah. yeah you ever see someone you track them getting older and then like they just become like the some weird mannerism or tick they have is just like so much more pronounced the older and older they get like all of that stuff so i think that i can see this hannibal Going through another, I don't know what the timeline's supposed to be, but decade or so before the Silence of the Lamb era, and completely changing nationalities and uh-huh. becoming Brian Cox and then Anthony Hopkins. All right, cool, cool. Now, Will, I don't know if you know this or if it was apparent about Mass Mickelson from. Uh, his performance so far, but prior to becoming an actor, uh, and I thought this was a fun fact about him, he was a trained gymnast and dancer. Hmm. So yeah, he can uh, he can really cut a rug. I don't know if you feel like it, but go check out some YouTube videos of him dancing. He's good at it. I don't doubt that. Uh, very graceful. Yeah, it shows in the performance a little bit, right? He's He comes across as very uh, physically controlled. Very controlled, that's true. I mean, also highly mannered, but uh, you yep. see it in his, his motion when he's cooking a little bit. There There is a certain level of grace to the way he, he moves about. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, had you ever seen him in anything else? I mean, for sure. And we talked about that in the first one, although I'm still kind of fuzzy on where that is. But I've got, I mean, was he a star? Was he in a Star War? Was he a person in a Star War? 
He was in one was, of them. He, he had a small stars? role in Rogue One. Yeah. He was the uh, the father to the main character in Rogue One. He design he created the design flaw in the Death Star. Okay. And also, did he like hit uh, James Bond in the testicles with a rope at some point? Oh, he wrecked his nuts. That was a terrible, terrible scene to watch. <laughs> I've I've only I saw that movie I mean because that's in the Casino Royale the first Craig yep. Daniel Craig one right yeah that was kind of his breakout movie for yeah. you know the U S and you know the international film community was the bad guy in Casino Royale sure because I still remember that scene very well it's just a uh... le chiffre oh yeah yeah the scene where he smashes Daniel Craig's nuts. It's awful. Terrible. Yeah. Prior to that, he had been in a few films, though. Probably most notably, he was in uh, the Pusher trilogy, which was a series of movies that uh, was from Nicholas Winding Refn, Mm -hmm. who would go on to make like Drive and Only God Forgives, those movies. And uh, I would say, though, perhaps... Mass Mickelson's greatest claim to fame is that he appeared in the Rihanna video for Bitch Better Have My Money. Oh, yeah. He is, in fact, the titular bitch. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. My fa- That's my favorite video of all time, or in the top five. I love, love, really? love, love, love that video. Oh, that's yes. hilarious. <laughs> Oh my god. Yes, I do. How could you not? It's bananas. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just Rihanna being like, bitch better have my money, like a lot. And 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 it's bananas. And she's yeah. like torturing the the pretty white lady and like oh it's fantastic. Yeah, well that's it. I'm the bitch. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right, that's definitely where I know him from most. Yep. Okay, that's yeah, that's it. Okay, that didn't click to me, but but yeah, totally. Yep. I'm so glad that's where you know him from the most. Okay. Well, uh, lastly, we'll just mention that uh, you did predict that there would probably be a boss at the FBI. Wow, brilliant prediction. (laughs) Where'd I come up with that one? You did not, however predict who would be playing him no i did i wasn't even close but yeah i think i i knew that as soon as i saw it because i think that uh, that mr fishborn was kind of pronounced pretty heavily in the uh like promotional stuff because he's a big name and everything well i mean were you surprised and impressed to find that lawrence fishburne was such a major character in the show when he came up in the first episode. Sure, it's nice, of course. Who doesn't like to see uh, Mr. Larry Fishburne? Oh, he's so awesome. I think it's time now to dive into talking about the episodes themselves. Great. All right, so we've got episode one, Aperitif. And uh, it is the series premiere of Hannibal. We meet Will Graham, who's an FBI profiler type. He has this whole shtick about uh, recreating 
what a killer does at a crime scene doing his whole like this is my design thing did you like the whole um kind of crime scene recreation uh so i had a few thoughts i had i i had some divergent thoughts on it um I thought it was stylishly, stylistically very well done. I thought it looked really cool. I think kind of like the reverse blood splatter and all that stuff was cool. Um, the bone I would have, so to speak, to pick is just... I have a bit of an issue with the premise of... Um, Let's call it the trope of psychic detective. It seems like a cheat to me. It seems like, oh, I don't need to find forensic evidence. I'm just going to stand in the room and furrow my brow. And my brain is going to magically concoct exactly what happened and uh, what flavor soda the killer likes to drink and whether his wife is pregnant and uh, what he was doing last Tuesday. It just kind of seems a little, I mean, and this is not as blatant of that as often is portrayed on television, but there's definitely a huge element of that happening. I mean, he's not as bad as that. He's sort of, you know, he takes in everything at the crime scene and is basically able to mentally reconstruct what the killer's thought process would be, I think. Well, he creates a profile. I mean, that is already a step beyond what a human being in real life could do, which I understand as a show. But there were definitely parts where he was like, "Okay, he has a daughter. She's exactly this age. She has, you know, it's like there's it's like you couldn't know that. Oh, well, at that point, he'd seen like a lot of evidence by that point when he made that uh, observation. All right. I might I might not be picking my nits in the exact right spaces. No, I'm picking I, a nit with your nitpick. I definitely believe that there are points in this where he just based on, you know, standing near the crime scene and furrowing his brow has visions of things that it doesn't make any sense that a human being could ever do in real life. All right. So he's a little superhuman, but he's Will Graham. That's why he's the best. That's why Jack Crawford comes calling for him. Here's the, the other problem I have with Mr. Will Graham. As long as we're on it. And I wanna and I wanna these are gripes, mind you. I enjoyed them, but I think it's uh stopping me from kind of taking it as seriously as maybe I would have hoped, which doesn't mean I'm not enjoying it. Hmm. There's also this thing, and I understand that he's not technically a cop in this. Although he is, for all intents and purposes, a cop, and um, there and 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 this isn't unique to Hannibal, the TV show. It exists in other TV shows too, and I'm thinking the Jerry Jeremy Sisto seasons of Law and Order, where it's like, wh- since when do cops walk around dressed like hipster art students? with the shaggy unkempt hair and the beardiness and the rumpled sweater and the big glasses and the artsy demeanor it just i mean you've yeah that that is an impact i think of him he's basically just a professor who's a consultant okay i mean eventually he's carrying a gun and everything but for the moment 
y- you mean, know, he's he's not an FBI agent. But come on now, he is. He would be if he had passed the psych eval. And he's carrying a gun in, like, what, scene three? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, basically, you know, you the suspension of disbelief you have or what, what is supposed to allow you to suspend your disbelief with Will is that it's kind of the same thing with someone like, say, Claire Dane's character in Homeland, which is another one who got to ridiculous levels, but it's sort of like, this is a person who would never be allowed to do this stuff, but they're just that good that the rules are all being bent for them. Right. I guess that's part of the trope that I'm taking issue with. Again, though, picking nits, splitting hairs... But his hair, man. I mean, like cops. Uh, you've you've seen cops, right? They typically have like crew cuts and stuff. And even if you're not like technically a cop, I mean, if you work in an office where everyone has a crew cut, like you're eventually, it's just kind of behavior. You're gonna, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the thing about Will that we learned. So he uh, he has this ability to get into the heads of serial killers without actually becoming one, but it comes at kind of a cost you know he's got this incredible amount of what winds up getting called at one point pure empathy but it's like it's it's makes him so sensitive it's like painful and so he's standoffish it's you know he's got you know i think he refers to himself as maybe being on the spectrum but like he has a little bit of an asperger's-ish affect yeah and so you know he's a little affected in the way he deals with other people and social cues. Yes, that's for sure. I think I found that a little irritating too. I think I find this character irritating is what I'm finding out by oh, no. speaking about him. I I mean, it's just, I don't know. He's always just like so bothered. Like it's like they make all these special rules for this special guy because he's so special that he just like, you know, can't be bothered and you have to leave him alone and then he always uh, has to act like he's doing such a favor like he's so aggrieved that he has to like you know show up and talk to people and do his job that i mean i assume they pay him handsomely to do like he's got a nice wardrobe and house and stuff well i mean he's out in the middle of nowhere though (laughs) and what college is he teaching at by the way is it uh... he's at quantico is it quantico yeah I think so. And I mean, hey, he's nice to dogs. Sure. No, he's nice to dogs. He's, I mean, look, he's the protagonist. I just find him a little bit kind of uh, Tim Burton twee-like, like I'm too beautiful and special for this world type of thing. Oh, jeez. Look, well, I don't know. that goes away. I mean, I think I was him when I was 19, and uh, maybe this is where this is all coming out. But, um, you know, eventually when I got a job, I I stopped with the rumpled sweaters, and I uh, trimmed my beard a little bit, and I got a haircut. And I I learned to, like, you know, speak in normal tones of voice and make small talk and so forth. is everything okay at work? (laughs) Fine. Why should you ask? (laughs) all right so yeah (laughs) moving on um jack crawford comes and collects will because he needs help on this case in minnesota what's eventually going to be called the minnesota shrike it's uh eight disappeared girls who all look kind of the same and um 
he wants Will to help him catch this guy. And, you know, he hasn't been able, he didn't want to get Will. He, you know, Will's too unstable uh, to really be doing this kind of work. But at this point, Jack's out of options. He has to enlist his help on this one. So Will enters the story and uh, almost immediately this starts paying dividends because he realizes that uh, the victims have been mounted on deer antlers, Mm -hmm. which is an observation that he makes. And also he comes to the conclusion that the killer is eating his victims. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get Enter Hannibal Lecter. Uh, we see him for the first time with coming into frame next to a gorgeous shot of some food, a, a very classy milieu, enjoying a very nice meal. Get used to that, by the mm-hmm. way, Will. Uh, yeah. Very, very nice meals around Hannibal Lecter on this show. And then we uh, come back from commercial and we get a quick look at his practice because he is at this point in his story, uh, still a psychiatrist after all. And, um, he's, uh, treating Dan Fogler who has yes. a nice cameo. Yeah. And, uh, w- what I like here is that, uh, you learn so much about him very, very quickly in, in just like the smallest details from this early scene. Like, I believe his very first line is, uh, I hate to be discourteous. You know, he has this incredibly courtly way about him. And then uh, I'm not sure if you felt this way, but when Jack comes to the office to enlist his help, uh, I got the sense that he was very much getting ready to murder Jack until he realized that Jack was not there to investigate him. Hmm. Once he realized it was a different kind of call, he... You know, yeah, that's right. He was like, "Oh, he backed never away. Mind. yeah, he backed away, put down his scalpel." Yeah, he, he, up until that point, he seemed a little bit more like a predator. Yes, yeah, yeah, but he conveyed a lot just kind of through his body language. We also get a quick reference to Freddie Lounds and uh, her website tattlecrime dot com, which is mm-hmm. something that will come up in a later episode. And uh, we get our first meeting between Hannibal and Will, which will be the central relationship of the show. And, um, you know, it doesn't go over great immediately. Will doesn't want to be psychoanalyzed. He doesn't doesn't like the idea. But Hannibal thinks that he can help Will. Something about Will interests him, and he thinks that he can maybe be of some help to this guy in some way and thus immediately afterwards they find another body only this kill is not the same guy it looks the same but it's a different killer will sees this right away uh and will points out that the minnesota shrike has this whole thing about honoring his victims he has a certain reverence about what he's doing. Whereas this killer, uh, he thought that this victim was a pig. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, no respect whatsoever. And uh, we get our first shot of Hannibal cooking. What do you think of that? It looked delicious. Well, let me back up, because I know we talked about this in the first part, and 
I actually became kind of less pro cannibal, <laughs> more anti cannibal. Uh, tell me why. Well, I I think that in the first part I was I I was maybe had some bravado about like whatever it's just human flesh it's just dead flesh like eat it it'll go to waste it's food right which is which is still where i come from philosophically and the same part is you use every part of the animal like i think it's crazy that when people die we just dump them in the dirt um i mean honor the protein yeah honor the protein absolutely and that's always more or less been my uh, in the same way as it's like, look, I don't know, if, as if as long as you eat meat, uh, like you are at some point deciding that murder is okay, right? So, I don't know. I don't think people have more of a right to be on Earth than pigs do, where it just happen to be, you know, higher in the food chain and have invented weaponry and stuff. Um, I mean, I kind of feel like we do a little bit. I don't know. I don't think we do. I mean, I think we have to go with that assumption because we're people and otherwise, you know, how are we going to sleep at night? But, um, you know, in the same way as if if our country, when our country is at war with another country, I don't actually think that Americans have an inherent right to life that's greater than the residents the citizens of any other country but i'm still rooting for us right it's the same thing with people versus animals okay so where i'm going with this is from a philosophical point of view i have very little problem with cannibalism and i think Mm -hmm. there should be more of it Mm -hmm. I, i think we're overpopulated and we have a bunch of people dying and uh, from starvation okay and then we're just like throwing dead people in the dirt or we're like you know putting uh, building monuments to them building statues of them putting gravestones in places where we could you know build housing for the homeless so i, I mean it's, it's just a lot of sentimentality i think that is not really necessary when we should you know feed it's dead wasteful people. Well, it's wasteful right so that's yeah. generally my my thought on it, and it's like meat is meat, whatever. Until until the, then, uh, but then I'm watching, you know, Hannibal, and he's kind of feeding it to folks and being like, "Oh, uh, it's my protein scramble. It's got uh, some sausage in there." And then uh, Will's like, mm, "This is delicious." Ah, uh, so you've caught into it right away that Hannibal is feeding people to people at basically every opportunity. Is that supposed to be a secret? <laughs> I mean, clearly that's what he's doing, right? Mm. I yeah. mean, they just you know they they go out of their way to have to have will who's the grumpiest like you know least positive person be like oh this is delicious he doesn't say that at any other point in time he's not like oh i love your shoes oh what a great paint job in this room but he goes out of his way to compliment the food well hannibal also kind of like waits until people take a bite and gives a little self-satisfied smirk all the Uh, time yes he does and um you know there's the part in a later episode where abigail mentions like do you think my dad was feeding us people and hannibal's like probably yeah (laughs) yeah anyway but how did this affect your your feelings about the ethics of it i don't 
I don't think it's affected my feelings on the ethics of it. And again, to be clear, I'm not for murdering people and eating them. I'm just for not wasting protein. But uh-huh. I think that it has made me more repulsed by the idea, just the pageantry that they put around it and the fact that they make it look so gourmet and that they make such of a big deal out of it. Um, I think maybe has made the concept less ethereal. That's not the word. Maybe it has made the concept less abstract, less abstract. Um, It is so funny that your reaction is completely 180 degrees, the reverse of mine hmm. in that to me, like the, the abstract thought of cannibalism is completely repulsive and yet the actual seeing Hannibal cooking the the human meat and creating this gorgeous food actually makes me think you know that looks really pretty I could get this I kind of like this <laughs> it's it's so like a complete mirror opposite reaction how do you feel about offals I eat them like like organ meat, yeah. So I remember I got a um, like a pig heart a few months ago, mm-hmm. and I cut up the pig heart, and a pig heart looks like exactly like a human heart, uh, maybe a slightly smaller. But you know, I cut it up and I stir fried it, and it was delicious. It, well, it was delicious, but cutting it up was weird because. It's like you're cutting up a human heart and it's got the tubes going in and the tubes going out and it's just like, huh. Yeah, I don't know. Something about, I, I, I find the presentation affected my thinking on it, I don't know. And and just bringing it back to, uh, you know, an artistic view of it, I think the scenes of Hannibal cooking are gorgeous just from a, you know, an aesthetic point of view oh uh, of course absolutely they are gorgeous they are beautifully lit they are beautifully scored there is definitely a lot of attention paid to uh everything to like the cookware that he's using to everything else it is they are gorgeously done he's got a very nice kitchen i want that kitchen yeah the 180 thing of your point where like the more i see it look delicious the more immediate the concept becomes to me, and then it's like, oh, human flesh. Mm. There's, I think, maybe there's a natural repulsion to that that we have, right. or well, that I have. Well, you'll have plenty of more time to, uh, oh yeah, chew it over, so to speak, as the show goes on. So Will sees this, uh, you know, dressed-up crime scene, and it allows him to figure out his profile that he'd previously been stuck on. He figures it out just like that in a snap. It was the thing that you were talking about earlier. He comes to all these different conclusions. It was kind of like, I think he puts it as seeing the negative allows him to see the positive. Mm -hmm. So he just like blurts out the full profile. It really does help him. But a little while later, he has his first vision of the stag, which is a recurring motif that I think through the first three episodes, at least we have seen coming up again and again, just to call it out starting right here. 
They also have a few conversations together with some notable dialogue, including Will saying to Hannibal, I don't find you that interesting. You will. (laughs) And um, also the start of what fans will recognize as the classic Will Hannibal patter, which includes uh, Hannibal saying things such as, do you ever have any problems, Will? (laughs) Questions posed in that tone of voice. Very Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Anyway, they settle on a suspect, which is this guy, Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Three names, definitely the guy. What's interesting, though, is that Hannibal calls him up and warns him that they're coming. Now, what's the point of that? Because he doesn't change the course of events, really, does he? I guess maybe... No, I don't. I don't know. Does he change the course of events? I guess. I guess Hobbs then goes and decides to kill his family because of that call, or am I misremembering? Well, do you have any theory on it? I've got two. On why he placed the call? Yeah, I think because the writers of the show needed to establish that he's on the side of cannibals. Okay, so it's like a team thing. Yeah, he's just pro cannibal. He's just team cannibal. All right. I mean, if that was the case, he could have done more. He could have just stabbed Will in the throat right there. And ate him if he was like totally. But he's just, you know, he's still playing both sides. But I mean, there's a little team cannibal there. I um, uh, there there are two reasons that aren't completely, uh, you know, exclusionary that, that I have for why he does this. Uh, number one is that I think... Hannibal is the kind of guy who I think is very driven by just finding things interesting. And, you know, that's like his main motivation in life is wanting to see interesting things and experience interesting things. And he literally just wanted to see what would happen. He was, you know, setting up a situation that he could observe that would be more interesting you know, he sets some dominoes falling, because why not? The other reason, which I think is actually probably a little deeper and hopefully closer to the truth for that, is that um, Hannibal sees something in Will. Will kind of fascinates him, and he's interested in Will. But that doesn't mean that all of his intentions towards Will are benevolent. He's willing to do things that will harm Will in a way uh, because this kind of dance that he's doing around Will is basically that his interest in Will involves him doing things that put Will in situations where he wants to see how Will will handle stuff. Like, he wants to see... He he, he created a greater challenge for Will to face. Mm-hmm. You know, he created this uh, obstacle for Will and how well will Will handle it. He wanted to see if Will will pass this test. And so that's why he did it. Yeah, I see, I can see that. I think yeah. that's right. Andy's team cannibal. No, that too. Pass the test Will does. He uh, does not manage to save Mrs. Hobbs. She gets uh, gutted, but um, he does manage to save the daughter, Abigail, but not before she gets her throat sliced wide open. And uh, that's where we end the episode, basically, with uh, the Minnesota Shrike dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will, a little bit disturbed by what happened, 
but still in one piece, and Abigail Hobbs on her way to the hospital. And that's the end of episode one. Episode number two. We get a shot of the Minnesota Shrike's antler room. Very striking image, by the way. The show, I think, is very good at creating um, very striking iconography. Yeah, I'll agree with that. All right, just throwing it out there. Jack believes that the Minnesota Shrike was actually partnered with his daughter. He thinks that Abigail was in on everything. Right. Uh, Will does not agree, but Will's thinking might be motivated. Circle back to that. But in the meantime, we get our introduction to the scuzzy journalist Freddie Lowndes, who's been poking around. And this is a change in the character as we've known the character in previous incarnations because, Will, I think you've seen uh, other versions of Freddie Lowndes, has not traditionally been portrayed as hot. Correct. Yeah, you remember who played Freddie Lowndes in Red Dragon? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Correct. Whoa, I got that one? Whoa, nice. Go me. Yeah. Uh, nicely done. This actress, uh, Lara Jean Chorostecki, setting, uh, setting our brief tangent into uh, leering man testosterone corner aside, uh, what did you think of the character? Good character. I love that she's a blogger, if that's even still a word people use. <laughs> nice update to the character, yeah. I think she's a well-needed foil in the series. I uh, think that I I do enjoy the scenes with her, and um, I think that uh, I like the way that she you know plays off the other characters. So I think it's a it's it's good. I think she's a good character. Right on. Will has just had a lethal force encounter, which need. Blech which means he needs to have a psyche val. Maybe you could do it with Hannibal. So, conveniently enough, they are now doing psych sessions, and we get a little bit more, once again, of the establishment of their patter. And then we find our next serial killer to catch. He is doing it with mushrooms. Mushrooms. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, yeah. He you... seems like a really fun guy. Oh, go to hell, Will. I had to. <laughs> Seriously, you get off my podcast. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do think this is, uh, you know, a good example of what the show is going to kind of come to be known for, which is uh, this really nice mix of the grotesque and the beautiful. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you felt that way about the field of body mushrooms but uh yeah of course i mean that's how you're supposed to feel about it right i think so yeah so anyone who wants to know what we're talking about basically there are all these dead people or not even dead he keeps them alive sort of in uh in a coma buried who are then killed by having mushrooms grown into them and it's fucking crazy freddie Lowndes is poking around and tries to get one over on hannibal he sees through her in a second, and uh, he says something which you feel is very dangerous for her, which is, uh, 
You've been terribly rude, Miss Lowndes. Yeah, and then, so I thought he, because then they just fade out, and then I just assumed that he killed her and ate her, but because then the next scene is him feeding uh, Loin, quote-unquote, to uh, Lawrence Fishburne, so I just assumed that was her loins. You do wonder for a sec, don't you? Yeah, no, but uh, she's not gone for good yet. But uh, I think you get the sense that he would very much like to. Yes. Uh, Does Hannibal sexually get off? Is that like his... It's his fetish, right? Like, he gets off on killing people and eating them. As opposed to, like, Hannibal doesn't also... Like, there's not, like, a playboy aspect to Hannibal where we see, like, him at the bar entertaining ladies or something. Like, he doesn't go on dates and stuff. This is his dating. Right. Well, I, I mean, I, I think you're ascribing too vulgar a motivation for him doing what he does, don't you think? For this right. incarnation of Hannibal, look at how refined he is. I am, I am projecting too vulgar uh, a motive for his ghastly murders. Yeah, they're okay. ghastly, but. Once again, they are very aesthetically pleasing. (laughs) Sure. The team manages to rescue the next victim who's having a a dirt nap in the trunk of a car. Yeah. Which is crazy. But Freddy publishes a sleazy article about Will. What a bitch. Uh, Will has some more... Issues with that nightmare stag of his. And then we get a pretty cool um, kind of fake-out ending where you feel like everything is starting to wrap up the way a normal procedural will. And then we get this sort of shock kill where the killer shoots this guy right in front of Freddy's face. Did you jump when that happened? No, but I appreciated it. Oh, okay. I'd even seen the episode and I forgot that it happened. So I was kind of like, oh, fuck. I mean, sure, it's definitely a jump cut moment. I don't think I physically jumped, though. Well, you know, I just meant figuratively, I suppose. Yes. The serial killer, the mushroom guy, goes after Abigail because of Freddy's article about Will. And it um, brings the theme of the episode up and also helps kind of the theme of the show come into greater focus. Uh, The theme of the episode is basically connection. He does the mushroom thing because he has this whole thing about mushrooms helping people find the connections that they can't find in their regular lives. Mm -hmm. And this also speaks to this greater theme about Will not being able to find these connections and the greater connection and bond that's starting to form between Hannibal and Will as they get closer to each other. And we get these continuing sessions now where Hannibal and Will speak to each other, and you get Hannibal kind of seeking to connect with Will, too. You get the sense that Hannibal is trying to maybe seduce him a little bit or bring him around to his worldview somewhat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean... You you kind of caught that, right? Yeah. Do you feel like it was at all something you found not like convincing, obviously, but I'm not even sure what the word I'm looking for is. Um, compelling? I found it compelling. Yeah, compelling. 
I mean, we were just talking about what his motivations might be. Did you start to feel like you were starting to see it? Sure. Okay. All right. Well, that's episode two. Now we're here, episode three, the last one that we'll be covering today. Yeah. And it's all about Abigail, the daughter of the Minnesota Shrike, who both Will, Hannibal, and all of these other characters are totally obsessed with. Right. Everyone's obsessed with Abigail. Right? Will's sleeping in her room, and uh, you got Freddy coming in, and, and everyone, yeah. Everyone wants a piece of Abigail. Everybody wants Abigail. So the episode opens up with a flashback to Abigail uh, confirming Jack's suspicions, getting a little bit of serial killer training from her dad. She also They're out hunting a deer, and there's this one moment where she's lining up a shot, and I'm just like, damn, Abigail, you're going to shoot it in the face? <laughs> it's not cool. Do they encourage that in hunting school, shooting a poor deer in the face? Uh, it's all training for the zombie apocalypse. Ugh, I guess. It just seems like she's the real monster in this family. God yes. damn. Um there's a character we haven't brought up yet, which is uh, Alana Bloom, a psychiatrist associate of Hannibal and a friend to Will, who kind of basically facilitated their meeting. She wants to talk to Abigail first because she doesn't think it'll be healthy for them to do it because they were sort of involved in the death of her father. But uh, I wanted to ask you, what do you think of Alana? Well, I think Alana is the character that I had in mind when I mentioned a female lead at the FBI. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure who we actually count as, as you know, the quote-unquote female lead because there are kind of two because, you know, Freddie is sort of the main foil as well. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have strong feelings towards that character one way or the other. She's kind of fulfilling a role that's needed in this whole thing well she's definitely kind of like the warmest character this is a, a character with a lot of very kind of cold closed off and intellectual people she's one of the most like regular human people i think yep yeah and i guess i will also dip back into uh leering male testosterone corner just to mention like just like freddie lounds she's totally hot She's hot, but although the scene where we get to know her or the, her, I think her first kind of extended bit of character development outside of the workplace is when she goes to Will's house and uh, and we see Will in his underpants and that guy's hot too. Hugh Dancy? Oh, fuck yeah. Everybody's he is. hot in this show. Yeah. And I mean, shit, Hannibal's a snazzy dresser. Do you see the suits he was wearing? I am very envious of Hannibal's suits. Oh, dude, that is only just starting, man. <laughs> Hannibal knows how to dress himself, okay? Oh, yes. The guy has fashion sense. He's all about good taste. That's his whole thing. That's why he kills, Will. It's all in the name of good taste. Uh, yes. So Hannibal has the good luck to walk into one of Will's lectures right at the point 
where they're getting to the Minnesota Shrikes copycat and gets to hear an entire bit of lecture about himself. And it's basically just a whole bit of hearing himself get talked up. Yeah. Uh, Will, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, just what course is it exactly that Will is teaching plot exposition 101? Because it's always very convenient. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's serial killer catchery. <laughs> and he's always just his lesson is always just what happened to him yesterday it seems mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know it's a strange class but okay i'll allow it now that he's in the field well <laughs> i think at one point they even say it uh, they're just kind of like why are you using your notes from the field and he's kind of like well <laughs> we're in such dire straits i figure like maybe even one of these idiots in my class might have something useful <laughs> uh just throw it out there see if they can say something that'll help but um yeah will points out that uh unlike the minnesota shrike uh who had you know certain techniques this other guy he's even better than that he took the shrike's techniques and elevated the kill to the point of art yes oh god damn hannibal's a fucking artist he uh, couldn't even help but smiling when he heard that. See, Will Will appreciates him. Mm. That's why he likes Will. Will is the only one who truly sees his artwork and appreciates it. Anyway, Freddie gets to Abigail, who uh, is surprisingly sharp in her interactions with her. But uh, Freddie is also not wrong that... Uh, Abigail might want to get ahead of the story before it comes out because people's perceptions will kind of define the rest of her life. Yeah. I mean, what can you imagine like being in this scenario where, you know, you're the child of John Wayne Gacy or Ed Gein or something and potentially one of their accomplices. Yeah. And she is, definitely very well put together she's got everything very well thought out um she's very kind of deliberate in her thinking and her speaking and all those things that again maybe that's not how people would act in real life but it's a show so well here's the thing so will and hannibal arrive and they talk to abigail and I, I do want to say that uh, the actress who plays her, Casey Roll, is, um, she, I think she's very, very good in this scene of the three of them all talking together. Mm-hmm. This scene in particular. Uh, you know, she's very, very believable in her sense of despair in the moment, but she's also believable coming across as a bit of an actress in the sense that you're kind of not 100% sure if you can trust her, if she's putting on an act. You know, Alana even, you know, one of the more warm and trusting people on the show, even she doesn't fully buy what she's saying. And in this scene, uh, I feel like you're not really entirely sure how much she might be putting something on here. And I just noticed in the way it was shot, a lot of the the shots had the camera like right up in her face, very close up, you know, so that you could focus in on it. And so I did. 
and you could never really be quite sure how much of what she was saying was real and how much of it was an act, I felt like. Hmm. Yeah. Did you I just think, think she was a, a liar the whole time, or did you believe any of it? I think it's uh, towing the line. Is that right? Is that the right phrase? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I think uh, it's ambiguous. <laughs> As it's designed to be, I suppose. Well, anyway, they head back to Minnesota uh, to visit her house. I couldn't help but notice that um, the way the house looks, especially given that there are uh, an awful lot of yellows, and especially with the desaturated color scheme on this show, it makes the house look extremely, uh, quote-unquote, crime scene house. Mm, Yes. You know, very 70s. You know, it just looked like the scene where a serial, it looked like the scene of where a serial killer lived or where right. something horrible happened. Right. It's like the Leatherface house almost. At that point, I also remembered that like, oh, right. She heard Hannibal's voice on the phone when he called to warn her dad. So no uh, wonder Hannibal might be a little bit interested in her, right? Hmm. And she maybe even fucks with him a little bit about it. It's unclear when she mentions, like, you can be the guy on the phone. Hmm. Right? Yeah, okay. All right. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, Hannibal has been sticking very close to her ever since it became clear that she would survive at the end. And it could be mistaken for care about her, but in point of fact, she can actually indict him in what happened so he's got to stick real close to her and a lot of what happens in this episode actually probably is him dealing with that we'll talk about that more in a second so we get a little more stuff for her a friend of hers stops by she has her realization that uh, her dad was probably feeding her people Hannibal is like totally and um, then the copycat strikes again. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about this new copycat attack. So when Abigail's friends stop by, they get confronted by the friend of one of the victims. The friend, in fact, of the copycat victim. And he gets hit in the head by a rock thrown by the friend, which has some blood on it, leaves a little DNA behind. Hannibal conveniently covers this up for his own nefarious purposes. The friend is then killed by the copycat. They find on the body of the friend some DNA from this guy. So they think that this guy is the one who is the copycat and who killed the friend. So now they're all looking for that guy. We get a few more scenes in the house. Really need to guard the house better, by the way, because it seems like everybody can just, like, waltz in and out of this place. Yeah. They find Freddy in there. The guy breaks in. It's just sort of like, you know, there are cops surrounding it, but, like, no one's stopping people from getting inside. He gets in, but uh, Abigail winds up stabbing him. I do want to ask, so he's kind of attacking her, 
but he's also kind of not, at least not that bad. But she shoves a big-ass knife into him. Mm-hmm. How much do you think it really was self-defense? It was partially self-defense and partially her latching into a deeply rooted psychological need to murder. I think there was an element of her lashing out. Yeah. In there, yeah. It wasn't entirely pure, the kill. So, what happens there, though, is Hannibal notices that the kills happen, turns on a dime, knocks Alana out, Yep. and then very authoritatively tells Abigail, show me what happened, and takes over immediately and manipulates the fuck out of this girl. Basically tell her, no one's going to believe you that... It was just self-defense, given your whole situation and everything like that, given what's going on. But I believe you, and I will help you. And what we should do right now is hide the body. He's not wrong. No, he's not. And that's the genius of it, because every master manipulator should hide the manipulation in a little bit of truth, shouldn't he? Mm. Yeah. So, they hide the body... And that, combined with the fact that he planted the DNA in the dead girl's mouth, means that everybody thinks that the missing guy is the copycat and that he has fled after attacking Abigail and Alana at the house. Hannibal's thought of everything. Abigail, meanwhile, has put two and two together after all this. She realizes that Hannibal was the man on the phone. But he manipulates even that by saying, yes, that was me. It was a mistake I made. I accidentally gave away what we were going to do during our investigation, and that let him get ahead of us and kill everyone, and it could ruin me if this gets out. So I will keep your secret about what happened if you keep the secret of my totally accidental and not on purpose mistake over the phone a secret too. Mm -hmm. So we'll both be keeping each other's secrets. And it, in a pretend sense, puts them on an even footing and forges an even tighter bond between the two of them. He doesn't have to kill her now. He's Mm -hmm. got her locked in. He's really manipulated everything perfectly. And that's where we leave it at the end of episode three. That's where we're at right now. It's like watching a brilliant chess player. So that's where we're at. What do you think? As I said a bit in the beginning, I am liking the show. Um, There are some elements to it which I kind of find to be a little bit silly um but that doesn't mean i don't enjoy it it just means i think i'm looking at it um not necessarily as sort of the uh prestige but maybe that i don't even know classifications are so dumb anyway but there seems to be like what we all agree is is prestige which is you know sopranos and uh the wire and so forth and then Uh, that is compared against what is not prestige um, as far as dramas are concerned, which would be, 
you know, NCIS and stuff like that. Yeah. I would say that Hannibal, maybe this is what it's supposed to be, is kind of like in that middle ground of things like Dexter or Justified, um, shows that are a little bit more, a little bit more than your standard network procedural fare, but aren't exactly the high cinematic quality of uh, uh, Sopranos or Wire or so forth. Here's here's something that I would say to that, which is um, in going forward into the next set of episodes, I might encourage you to think of it maybe this way, which is that um, Han- comparing it, especially when you bring up, say, The Sopranos or The Wire, the kind of show that Hannibal is, is it is not gritty. It, it, it is not a realistic show. You know, you talk about these nitpicks you have about, like, the kind of dress code Will is able to get away with or, you know, the realism of some of the things that he's able to do as a profiler. Um, this isn't a show that's going to put very much effort in trying into trying to be a grounded, realistic show. This show is very Baroque. It's very heightened and stylized. It's much more interested in the characters and the aesthetic beauty and art on the screen and the relationship between Hannibal and Will than it is in you know, making sure that it's 100% right that they nail, like, how realistic that someone would have been able to drive from here to here in the right amount of time to be able to pull this off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And it is sort of, you know, nitpicks on that level, and some of which I've been admittedly engaging in, in this episode are kind of a pet peeve of mine where at a certain point it's like, yeah. And the thing is, because I find that if you're invested in a show, you will let that stuff slide or you won't let it occur to you. But if you are not totally on board with it, you're going to start finding those things and it's going to start affecting your enjoyment of it. But I do grok what you're saying about what the show is trying to do and i agree with you and i think it can be appreciated um on that level i think i will continue to chuckle a little bit at some of these aspects of it um but i think that's part of the fun of it for for me anyway and uh, i think part of what i'm enjoying about it too is that kind of element where a little bit of your enjoyment of it might be tongue in cheek. And that's true of watching a great genre film or, you know, of, or enjoying an episode of law and order, which is one of the all time great shows or X files, which is one of the all time great shows. So it's not necessarily, uh, criticisms uh, so far as they are observations and just me trying to establish what kind of show I believe this to be. Now it's definitely very well, directed it's beautifully shot as we've been talking about i find the dialogue a little bit um i guess i find it there to serve a purpose uh rather than exist on its own if that makes any sense but all that being said clearly i'm enjoying it and curious to see where it's headed 
Nice. Well, Will, that I think will do it for this check-in episode. We're now going to have you go on and watch the next three episodes, and you're going to come back and talk about those. So until then, dude, it was good talking to you. You as well. Bon appetit. Bon appetit, my friend, and we'll catch you next time. For everyone else out there, you want to contact us, betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com, at betterlate underscore pod. Bye!